What's up, y'all? I'm Dr. Craig Waleed, your host here on the Prison to Promise podcast, where I explore strategies formerly incarcerated people use to build a life of promise and avoid a return to prison. On this episode, I'm joined by Paul Campiche. Right off the muscle, Paul lets me know he recognizes his affluence, whiteness, and gender as an advantage in this world. But as Paul told me, I need to do something more than just be privileged. I need to help make a change. Wow. So you don't want to miss this conversation between Paul and I. So tune in as he talks with me about how his academic achievements helped him develop emotional awareness, which led him to begin thinking about what wasn't working in his life and how to realign his life and stay out of prison. Today, Paul is giving back to other formerly incarcerated people as a mental health care provider and by helping them access services and employment. This is a very great conversation. I think you'll get a lot from it, so you don't want to miss it. Let's go. Yeah, man. So thanks for uh, spending your morning with me. Yeah, um, definitely. Here on the Prison of Promise podcast. And um, I think I... I may have sent you an email describing what we try to do here, which is really to capture the stories of post-incarceration success, um, whatever that might look like. And the whole hope is to um, use these stories to um, encourage other people who are going through similar circumstances or who um, are anticipating being released back into the community, as well as, you know, to encourage them um, as well as, um, their family members. And I think also maybe to also um, shed light on the variety of talents, uh, education levels, capabilities, capacity in general to be a a upstanding person um, for all of the community to see. Yeah. So maybe... You know, if you would, man, introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell them a bit about who you are, where you're from, maybe how much time you've done and how long you've been out. Okay. I'm Paul Campiche. Uh, I am, you know, 34 years old. I uh, have a lot of education. Um, I was incarcerated for 21 months in prison i've also done time in jails and you know county jails everywhere uh altogether i spent about three years of my 20s behind bars um mostly marijuana charges and uh yeah it it was a horrible experience but something that i've really grown through yeah i can only imagine um just going to prison, going to jail, period, is a horrible experience. 
and then to be put in jail for, as you said, mostly marijuana charges. Um, that just kind of makes it even more ridiculous, I think, in this situation. Yeah, actually, when I was on my very last leg of my sentence, when I was on supervision, marijuana became legal in Washington State, where I live. Yeah. Uh, the irony wasn't lost on me. Yeah, I'm sure, man. <laughs> wow. You know, yeah, that had to be like a punch in the stomach. Yeah. You know? But one of the things you mentioned about your experience um, is that you have a lot of education. So I'm assuming that you're talking about formal education, school. Yep. Yeah. And so that is, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's not even kind of, I don't want to use a qualifier, but it's different than what research shows us, which is that yeah. many people who have lots of education or even, you know, some level of advanced education are less likely to be incarcerated than those who don't. Yeah. Well, you know, I was born to affluence and I'm white male privileged and I really recognize that I was incredibly lucky uh, to be where I was with, you know, the kind of family that I had. Um, I made a good attempt at staying out a few times, but it was this last time that it actually worked. And the reason it worked, I think, has something to do with the education. Uh, I have a master's degree in clinical psychology, as well as two bachelor's degrees, one in poetics and one in psychology. Mm -hmm. So I... I've been through uh, academia a few times. I graduated my first bachelor's degree from a jail cell yeah. in Thurston County. All right. I had been sending in assignments via mail. The teacher knew where I was and let me do it anyways. Correspondence uh, courses you were taking. Yeah, yeah. Correspondence courses with the Evergreen State College. That's dope. Yeah, it was wonderful. And... uh you know, my master's degree, when I got it, 20 days after I got it, I went and did 21 months. Mm. So it was a bittersweet kind of feeling. Yeah. Uh, and it's an example of how incarceration can really throw water on any fire, no matter how bright it burns. Wow. And so if we could stop right there, because I don't want to get lost because I like that point you just mentioned, how incarceration can throw water on any fire, no matter how bright it burns. But if we could just go back a little bit, because you mentioned you think that having some education helped make the difference in you turning the curve and not going back. Can, can you talk a little yeah. bit about that and why yeah. education matters? So... The reason that the education matters is it's about how serious someone takes you at a job interview and applying for housing, all of these things. If you have a credential at the end of your name, people treat you differently. Um, I've often had the odd dichotomy of being both a person who's been incarcerated as well as a mental health professional. So I get treated both you know very poorly and very uh honorably at the same time yeah, I can imagine. yeah 
it's an interesting thing. The education, though, uh, it really provided me with insight into what was going on in my situation. That is to say that I took time to think about what wasn't working in my life. Mm -hmm. And because I was studying psychology, I, I could notice when, you know, I had terrible thinking, just, uh, you know, thinking, thinking is what they call it, or you know, just the case of the efforts, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and, you know, you, you studied pretty much similar to what I study, you know, psychology, um, um, mental health counseling, uh, health sciences, but it was all really about me trying to understand myself better. Yeah. And I think this is what we call when we get to this level of understanding our thinking and those things that went into making us the person that committed whatever offenses that we did. Um, I think we begin to develop what they call emotional intelligence. Yeah, that's a great thing to point out. Um, we also slowly develop what's also called emotion intelligence and that's just being able to speak out loud about your emotions mm -hmm. in an adequate and genuine way yeah that's something that as someone who's been formerly incarcerated i really think about a lot mm -hmm. uh, i remember all the times when i was incarcerated and someone would just deny the fact that they had emotions in general Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was all very stoic, very straight faced. And, yeah. you know, there was no room for tears. You yeah. don't cry in prison. No, you don't. And as you and I know, that can really be detrimental to the individual. You know, yeah. you cannot access or you have to deny some of the emotions that are in your wheelhouse. You know, all of us have them. So, yeah. Yeah. And one thing I really got to work on when I was incarcerated was my anger issues. Mm. I, I've always had a, sh a short fuse, a hot mm. temper. Mm -hmm. And that is something that's gotten me in trouble. Yeah. Uh, I got an assault charge for threatening to hurt someone. Mm. Uh, just a threat, but that's enough. Right. Uh, right. You know, it's a serious thing. And when I look back at my incarceration, I think of, person in particular helped me mm -hmm. and he didn't mean to yeah. it was a very uh angry and very violent man who i had a cell with and in certain prisons in washington there are no help buttons mm -hmm. we don't have those so yeah if you get killed by your cellmate in your sleep well yeah no help button you'll yeah. just notice you're dead after a while right so it's like I met a man who could easily, you know, just put me in a coma yeah. and uh, he was my cellmate. And so I had to learn to take everything he was saying in stride and not get angry because to lose my temper on him would be to lose a lot of, a lot of my like physical health. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I think we come to these realizations when something's taken away from us or something is at risk and like here all right your freedom was already taken but now your health is at serious risk you know yep. so it becomes time to compromise or change 
And yeah, exactly. The person I've always, suffers. Yep. And I've always thought about the fact that it's, it's fine to compromise a situation. It's mm-hmm. not okay to compromise yourself in a situation. Right. Right. So right. like one thing I remember about incarceration was I had to keep myself from being angry because it just wasn't going to help. And I was angry about a lot of things. You know, I was angry. I was in prison. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so how did you help yourself not be angry? Ah, uh, that's a great question. No. I, uh, I, I think it came when I, I stopped beating up on myself more mm. than losing anger with other people. Mm. Uh, when I got out, I was really lucky. I found a reentry organization out of South Seattle College mm-hmm. that uh, it it was an opportunity for me to give back to the community. Yeah, man. And it was something that actually helped me get purposeful, you know, thinking, purposeful actions, and be a better person. Mm, mm, through this reentry organization. Yeah. yeah. So what it was, was South Seattle College's Justice Involved Solutions Team. Oh, and wow. I had gone there to get help with the Social Security app. Mm-hmm. And they know I had a master's degree. And so after I was done getting their help, they asked me if I wanted to stay after and help people with resumes. Mm-hmm. I had free time. And so I did it. Uh-huh. Uh, and the next week I came back and did it. And then the next week, and now it's been a nine year commitment every Saturday and Wednesday. Nice, nice. Uh, this is voluntary stuff you're doing. Yeah, and giving back to the community that I saw be so disenfranchised. Wow. Uh, I saw so much misery and deprivation, disparity just in that place. There is, it's a pandemic Mm. of misery. Mm. It's everywhere. That's a heavy insight, man. A pandemic of misery. Hmm. And so you're there just trying to give of yourself to help make a little difference, it sounds like. Yeah, and I got the chance to do that. They uh, they eventually, one day when I came in, they had me talk to the class and tell them what my story was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really, I remember it kind of shook me because uh, I'd never articulated to other people, really. Mm-hmm what my prison experience was like yeah. because you don't really talk about your prison experience, especially with people who don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's people who haven't had that experience. It's really hard for them to understand it. Yeah. 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 But what did that do for you? You know, once you started telling your story, um, it, it really gave me a way to, relate and empathize with the other people who hadn't been incarcerated or hadn't gone to prison Mm -hmm. who didn't really know what I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
the giving back was the huge part. Telling my story was uh, very, very fulfilling and it made me feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. It was finding my voice and my confidence. But right. using my master's degree to help other people and get everybody the services, the jobs mm-hmm. that they need. Yeah. Uh, eventually, I became the guy who you go to in Seattle to get a job for a felon. Oh, uh, that's what I do every Saturday now. I operate as the employment guru. Oh, wow. And I, I've i gotten literally thousands of men and women jobs. Nice. Like, I can say that with just certainty because we count every client who comes through mm-hmm. and we take notes on where they're going and what they did. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I feel really, really awesome about. Wow. Is that I I feel I feel fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. Cause in a sense you're helping your your fellow uh fraternity mates, sorority mates, you know, though you know sorority is for females. Um still yeah. We come from a unique um, group of people once we've been kissed by the uh, poison of the criminal legal system. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I grew up in a family that were lawyers, both my parents, and at one point, each of them had been a prosecutor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing that I ran into was how my family didn't understand what I had gone through. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, you were born of affluence and you acknowledge that in white male yeah. privilege, you know, so lots of people don't understand that even though they have it. So, you know, that was deep for you to just yeah, bring to it the really, It really was a matter of uh, who was willing to give me a chance after I wasted all the chances they had given me before. Mm -hmm. Uh, My family in the end have been really supportive, but I needed to earn their trust again. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was not easy. Yeah. It's never easy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely know and understand, you know, but after a while, after consistency, I think people have yep. no choice but to either trust you or to leave you the hell alone. Right. Yeah. That is exactly it. Yeah. And family, family wants to believe in you. You know, I, I truly believe that. And yeah. Speaking of family, I'm thinking, and correct me if I'm wrong, but during your time of incarceration, you were getting some sort of emotional or financial support from your family. Yeah. There were expectations of you. Yep. Can you speak to maybe how that um, helped you get on the right track or not? I I think one thing that really stood out to me that kept me on the right track from the beginning mm-hmm. was my mother and how willing she was to, you know, put money on the phone or put money for books Mm-hmm. Or, you know, send me a, a, a supply package or, mm-hmm. you know, I, after I had been incar- incarcerated, when I got out, I, uh, I went back and I had chosen two guys mm-hmm. that 
I was going to support in the exact way my mother had supported me. Mm. And I did that because I had the privilege of mm. having such a great parent mm. who would be there for me. Mm -hmm. The guys I chose, both of their families are all dead. Wow. Um, they have no one. So, yeah. you know, I, I get them packages. I get them phone money. They talk to me every other day. Nice. Uh, we write letters, everything. Mm -hmm. And it, it started the very first person I met at, in prison. Right. I still talk with them. Dre is one of my best buddies. And like, it's, it's been nine years, 10 years of being his friend. Yeah, man. How important is it for people in prison to have those types of supports? Oh, man, it is just, it's incredibly essential to have support on the outside, to have someone on the outside. Mm -hmm. And that's not just to get little things done, like working on a release address. It's also to feel like there is an end to this sentence. Mm -hmm. Every day I'd sit there, it would just feel like I was a million miles away from ever getting home. Right, right, right. But and having that anchor in the community. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's something that I plan to supply to the guys that I chose. Yeah, I chose two guys out of the entire crowd. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing that's really powerful about that is... It's not about giving back necessarily. It's about empathy. Yeah, man. Uh, I can understand that that's why I give back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, throughout our conversation, you've been um, dropping these hints, um, these emotional hints, you know, empathy, caring, you know, patience, you know, um, other things. We were talking about emotional intelligence, emotional acknowledgement. Um, yeah emotional regulation, you know, all of these things. And so at the core of it, it's, it, I think what connects all of this is emotion. You know, sometimes ill emotions cause us to make decisions that lead us to prison. Um, yep. Same emotions that if we can learn to harness them can help us survive in prison and make a, a sensible and a good transition outside of prison. And even though some people are still struggling, those of us who can empathize and still can connect with what people are going through, you know, are very important to those people. You know, even yeah. though some people that we love cannot empathize with us, you know, it makes it sometimes challenging. But emotion is the connection is what I'm really highlighting here in this. Yeah, so, it yeah. really is true. Um, something odd is after I had been out for a year, Mm -hmm. On the day that I had gotten arrested, like, yeah. which was May 1st, uh, I went and got a tattoo. I didn't get tattoos while I was down because I know that's not a good idea. Yeah, uh, You can get sick, you can get caught. It wasn't worth it. Mm -hmm. But I got a tattoo and I, I'm, I'm Jewish by origins. Mm -hmm. So this is significant because we're not a people who get tattoos. Right. I have my doc number tattooed on the bottom of my foot oh wow yeah why on the bottom uh, of your foot for several reasons the big one is to remind me and you kind of said this that 
with a single step, I can be diminished to a number again. Mm. I can become a number just with one misstep. Mm -hmm. Heavy. Yeah. It's it's real. It is really real. With one misstep, I could lose all that rapport, all that trust. Mm -hmm. All that. All that love. All that, what do you want, social capital? Yeah, yeah. How long have you been out, man? I've been out about nine years. Yeah, so you've um, uh, amassed a lot. A lot of social capital, a lot of professional connections, personal connections. Yep. Yeah, it wouldn't be worth losing. No, and it's 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 that reminder. The tattoo is under my foot because it's no one's in business. Yeah. Um, also, because yeah, wherever I go, I I know that it walks behind me. It follows me. It's it's not going to go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I but, think the things that we do, as you mentioned earlier like having credentials behind our names, you know, yeah. put some weight on that, puts it behind us a little further. Oh, yeah, no, uh, it really does. Um, just education in general, you know, getting an AA degree is something substantial. Absolutely. It's never little. Absolutely. And yeah, and sometimes I hear people tell me, you know, oh, I only go to junior college or Oh, I only have an associate. I'm like, man, that's yep. amazing stuff. So what if you don't have a doctorate or a master's? You've taken a major step to educate yeah. yourself, to enlighten yourself. So, you know, big ups. But yeah, people definitely respect credentials. Yeah, yeah. And I I remember uh, when I got my master's degree, the amount of money I make per job just it was incredible. Um, and I say this not to just say that, you know, you should be greedy and you should look for money in your profession. I say you should do what you love and get paid for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you go through the slug and slaughter that education can be, there's a reward. Absolutely. It's, it's stability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you've been incarcerated and wasted 10 years of your life going in and out, stability is worth a lot more than you think. Absolutely. It's golden. And this stability that you talk about, I think it has a lot to do not just with the opportunity to always land employment, but it helps. I think people have a stable way of thinking, you know, when they can have yep. a stable way of thinking, I think they're better position to make uh decisions that are going to empower their lives you know yeah yeah i like to think of it as almost like for me the initial process of uh educating myself was like the equivalent of a farmer's tractor tilling the land tearing land over up and over so that it can be prepared for new information to be inserted for growth. Yeah, and I had to I had to challenge a lot of the beliefs that I had when mm-hmm. I got out. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, ACAB all cops are bastards. Right. That was 
I, I, I was, you know, pretty cutthroat anarchist, uh, and I got in trouble for assault on an officer mm -hmm. and that, that experience I had to grow out of, mm. I had to realize that I had disenfranchised a man of his own safety and security. Mm. I, you know, I threw something at him. But the idea is that we as human beings and citizens in this society can't do certain things. Mm -hmm. And those limits, those demarcations are there for a reason. Absolutely. Some things we can't do and some things we just should not do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's very easy to look at all the DOC and look at all the cops mm -hmm. and just have hate. Mm -hmm. But I don't think hate alone is healthy. No, no. And in most cases, I think hate by itself um, or if it's accompanied by something has the potential to destroy whatever is there. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I actually have a thought on that is that when I get asked, like, how do you get all the energy? How do you get all the chutzpah to go and uh, do reentry and get people jobs? And, you know, you seem like a, one of my clients, you know, my students said, it seems like you never sleep, you know, where do you get that energy? And, I tell them the truth, which is I have a lot of hate for the prison system. Yeah. And that's, I, a, healthy and that's a healthy way to deal with hate mm -hmm. is Absolutely. to use it to get the things done that actually change things. Mm -hmm. and you know, still destroy the prison system. Angela Davis said something beautiful. Speaking of destroying the prison system, mm -hmm. um, she said that I am no longer accepting the things I can't change. I'm changing the things I cannot accept. Right on. I yeah. can't accept the prison system as it is. Right. It has to change. It has to change. Yeah. yeah. And that's some of the work I'm doing out here. You know, yep. we are working on changing the way solitary confinement is being conducted in North Carolina's prisons. And we are demanding that the implementation of the Mandela rules are um, infused into policy and litigation. You know, so just without demanding that prisons are should be changed, I think is to be complacent in the ongoing um, traumatization of human beings, you know. Well, and it's just as easy as thinking about, you know, like the Black Lives Matter movement. Right on. Uh, you know, like they have an incredible amount of purpose when it comes to using anger in a productive way. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I see that man being beaten to death and it gets me pissed. Yeah. 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 But I don't just assault an officer about it. Right. You cannot. You can't. Right. And you were lucky. You could have gotten killed. Yep. You know. Yeah, they they do it all the time. And absolutely. So tell me, man, or tell the the listeners. So we know that you do reentry work. We know that you've been out of prison. 
for um, about nine years. Um, when you're not doing reentry work, because that sounds like what you do part time, um, what are you doing full time? Um, usually, I'm a mental health counselor. Okay. Uh, that is to say, I have like regular clientele that I see on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a shrink without the pills. You know? Yeah. Nice. Right on. So you are practicing. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a difficult thing to get. Mm -hmm. Uh, it took me a long time to get the licensure. Right. And I had to pull teeth just to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but what I get out of that is an appreciation for my job, yeah, you man. know, that yeah. I, that I feel honored to be able to do the kind of work I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not just about having the education. It's about having the intelligence and the will to mm. get things done. And I think a lot of guys in prison have the intelligence. Uh, I met a lot of guys who could really think and get around problems. And Absolutely. You know. And they have the will too. Just some, many of the guys have not had the opportunity. Yeah. To you know, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, about witnessing depravity, you know, a lot of the guys in prison are coming from deprived backgrounds. Yep. So it's difficult to get in a position to reach for some of these higher ambitions that they have. Mostly everybody has, I think, the, the capacity to achieve. Yeah. But because of one certain... Thing, one thing I try to do is I try to get guys who are getting out a vocation or education. Mm -hmm. I feel that a lot of times idle hands can be the devil's playground. Yep. Absolutely. We know that. It's good to stay active. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even if it's volunteering in, in between, yeah. you know, but research shows, I mean, and confirms all of this, what, what we're just sharing, you know, the yeah. vocation, uh, academic education, uh, knowledge of self, volunteering, pro-social activities, all this. Well, helps it's actually, um, so the organization I work with, we've had contracts since 1996. Mm -hmm. We've been going that long and we have statistics that we can use to back our claims. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that in Washington state, 67% of people who get out will return mm -hmm. within a year. Mm -hmm. And that is scary. Mm -hmm. And we that's also the, for the nationwide statistics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's low for weight nationwide. Mm -hmm. um, we also know something that's, unique which is 72 percent of people who get resources and support or get aligned with what's called a coordinated care portal mm -hmm. when they get set up to get those resources and that support 72 percent of them stay out mm -hmm. We have these little arm bracelets that we pass out to all the students saying we are the 72 percent Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's, what we're speaking of is the importance of support. Yeah. And accessibility. Yeah. It's huge. It's but huge. I think everyone wants to do good, man. I think everyone wants to do good. People don't want to sell crack or shoot heroin or no. 
Rob Banks or whatever, you know. No, I, I I understand that one. No one no one really wants to be forced to fight for their life. You know, no one wants to be so damn hungry that they steal. Mm-hmm. Uh, when mm-hmm. our guys get to our class, one thing we're very forward about is what's called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Sure. And the domains and needs that people have, mm-hmm. it works like you can't expect someone to make huge changes in the way they think if yeah. they are so hungry that they can't think. Right. And all they're thinking about is getting food. Or shelter. Or yeah. where am I going to sleep? What am I going to do? Where do I get a job? All these questions. And Basic for the most part, there's there's very little in the way of answers. Uh, we got, re- I got really lucky in the organization that I, I, you know, have been a peer advisor for, for nine years, ended up being a huge movement. Uh, we have every month we give out $72,000 of direct aid. Nice. And the, re- the way we get that, that we, uh, we reach out to like Red Bull is one of our sponsors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you reach out and you say, Hey, would you like to support guys staying out of trouble? And you just be like amazed at how many people are willing to support that. Wow. That's uh, great to know. That's great to know for myself yeah, and listeners. Making partnerships in the community. Uh, every donation we have, Mm-hmm. is something more that we can give. Right. And that's what it's all about, giving folks an opportunity to find some stability. And with that yeah. stability, they have a greater chance of advancing. You know, not everyone is fortunate enough to be released from prison back into a supportive environment, be that family or reentry organization or neighborhood. And so lots of times, as we know, people end up recidivating and going back to prison Huh. Yeah, it was, you know, I was talking about, you know, someone stealing to eat. Yeah, that's a huge one is like, I think about it a lot, because yeah. I work with the homeless a lot. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if someone's so poor that they can't afford to survive, and mm-hmm. they steal to survive. That's a failure of our system. That's and not a failure of the individual. And we know the system continues to fail, folks. But hey, yeah. listen, we are up at about two and a half minutes left in our time. Okay. And so before we close out, I want to ask you to think about what would you entitle your journey from the time that you've been incarcerated to right now? If that was the title of a book or a movie or something, what would that be? Something more than gold. Something more than gold. Oh, that's beautiful, man. Why I think uh I think about the outsiders, I think about staying gold. Mm. I need to be able to stay better than just being rich or mm. being privileged. I mm. need to actually do something about the issues. Mm. I need to make change. Wow, that's powerful, bro. That's really powerful. I, I love hearing that. And so if people wanted to reach you, people wanted to follow up with you, is there a way that they can find you? Yeah, my email, P-C-A-M-P-I-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-
C H E at A N T I O C H dot E D U. Right on. Right on. Hey, Paul, it's been a pleasure. Always. Yo, man, thank you for your time, and I will be in touch. Yeah, definitely. I'll leave you here. Keep your head up. Thanks, brother. Be well. What's up, y'all? Thanks for listening to the Prison to Promise podcast. If you or someone you know would like to share your story, please contact me by email at drcraigwaleed at gmail.com on LinkedIn and Instagram at drcraigwaleed and on Twitter at Craig Waleed. I hope to hear from you. Be well. Peace.